Blog Talk Radio. Welcome aboard. You have tuned in to the greatest, the the ultimate pop culture show. Thank you for tuning in to TKRS Presents Pop Life as we're going to take you through. This is going to be a great show tonight because we're going to hit TV, movies, music, sports. It's just we're going to hit everything tonight. So it's going to be a great show. Just uh, before we get into anything, though, is, you know, as we're trying to plan the show, we had some breaking news uh, happen um, you know, as we were planning the show today, and uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, Harrison Ford in a plane crash. Uh, apparently, he was flying a, a World War II kind of throwback, uh, his own personal plane. Uh, shortly after takeoff, uh, the reports said we're hearing uh, that he was exper- experiencing some injured fa- engine failure, um, and immediately requested to return to the. Uh, airport, uh, didn't make it, wound up crashing on a golf course. Uh, eyewitness reported that uh, um, there was a lot of blood and there, apparently there was a head wound. Um, again, these are, you know, reports are just coming in, um, but the head bleeds a lot, so I wouldn't read too much into that. Uh, the good news that we, we've seen and it's online um, is that Harrison Ford's son sent out a tweet that said, Dad is okay, battered but okay. Uh, he's every bit the man you would think he is. He's an incredibly strong man. So Los Angeles Fire Department initially reported that he was in critical condition, uh, but he was upgraded to serious and then fared to moderate. So it looks like as far as, you know, you hear plane crash, and, and it's hard not to assume the worst, uh, but it appears as if Harrison Ford, if you could even call it, plane crash, a minor plane crash, but uh appears as if he's going to be okay throughout the course of tonight's show. If uh, some other news comes over the wire, of course, we'll be sure to get it on to you. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. Uh, again, TKRS presents Pop Life. Give us a call, 347-838-9815 is the number to call. You can check us out on Facebook, TKRS presents Pop Life. we got a show chat going on right now on the uh the Facebook page, so head over there, like us, and, and get involved in the conversation. We want to hear from you guys. we got a lot of stuff to get into. So without further ado, I mean, it's been a crazy month. Todd, as always, you're here tonight. 
So many things we got to get into tonight. We do, Ken. First of all, though, when you deliver news about a plane crash, you're supposed to open with, he's okay, but here's what happened. When, when you say plane valid, crash. Valid point. Valid point. When you say plane crash, but that's okay. Good evening, Ken. Good, good evening to our billions of listeners out there. Wow, you're right. We did have a, a lot going on since our last show. You know, we had, of course, our primetime Oscar special, and that was one of the things that has gone on over the past uh, number of weeks. But we haven't seen you with a regular show in a while. And uh, for me, of course, with the binging on movies for the Oscars, I personally have uh, let my TV watching lag. That's been a big thing going on for me. I'm, I'm well behind on shows like uh, The Blacklist and Person of Interest and Archer. I've, I've caught up on Gotham, which is good, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia and you know, I'm, this is all off of my TV show tracker. I'm just keeping up with, as you, as you all know, here's my plug. Great app, TV show tracker. Get it on your iPhone, iPad right away. Anyway, uh, so Oscars, big one. We have, uh, what else? SNL 40, the big anniversary celebration. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just it's crazy, you know. I mean, every so often you do this. I mean, we do it monthly, so you never know uh, what kind of a month it's going to be. But it's been like a weird month. As far as, you know, doing one of our regular shows, like we hit the Oscars show, but we haven't been able to talk about the results of the Oscars. So it's the Oscars. Since our last regular show, the Oscars, like you said, SNL, spring training, baseball starts, sports, that's part of pop culture. And baseball starts and football ended all since our last show, the Super Bowl, which, uh, you know, it's weird. I mean, the Super Bowl has become in our society, I mean, more than any other sporting event, it's it's a pop culture event. Yeah. Um, you had Katy Perry doing the halftime show. Uh, the show was good. good. Left uh, shark, left shark. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I don't know, Missy Elliott. It's like all of a sudden Missy Elliott's kind of retro, which uh, I don't know if that means I'm old or or what that. But uh, um, but you know, it was a good game. But as far as like the pop culture aspect, like a lot of times with the Super Bowl, it's like you got your your sports fans. And then the non-football fans kind of look forward to the commercials. Right. For us sports fans, I think we got a good game. A great game. Great game. Great game. Back and forth. Crazy ending. Great plays at the end and the ridiculous play at the end. But the, but the commercials, eh, nothing really jumped out at me. No, there were a couple of funny ones. You know what? They, they can be summed up basically by the, that one commercial. That one commercial, man, where it's like, Here's my childhood. Here's some great stuff that I did in my life. But, oh, wait, I didn't because I'm dead. <laughs> and and that was the Super Bowl commercial this year. <laughs> that one, I mean, we were watching that commercial. We were all like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, wait, wait, that's just horrible. What a horrible commercial. So I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, sometimes I think people just overthink now the Super Bowl commercial thing. But uh, at least we got a good game. We got a good game. I, I lost my pools. Uh, but I, I got the enjoyment of a terrific sporting event. And, you know, in my house, it's the beginning of NASCAR season, as well as spring training. We're, we're well into a great hockey season. We're well into a terrible basketball season around <laughs> here in New York. Uh, but, you know, you're right. There's a, a lot going on in, in all of our different worlds here, music, TV, sports, all coming together in these last few weeks. And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, again, one of the things that happened uh, since we were on last um you know, I'm talking TV and movies, and and I guess loosely we can talk music. You had a couple albums out there, but uh, uh, the the passing of Leonard Nimoy, uh, as you know, as well as you know, he did other things, but will always be known as as Spock. And uh, 
you know, very sad as far as uh, anyone who's into pop culture, the whole, like, uh, geek culture. I mean, you know, Star Trek is one of those things that uh, it's just, it's, it's an American tradition, and uh, it's sad to, to hear the passing of Leonard Nimoy. Yes, uh, Star Trek, you know, maybe pioneering in the geek culture, really. Um, it, it was probably one of the first times that you had the incredible fan base, the, the devoted, the really intense, devoted fan base of the Trekkies or Trekkers, as they may want to be known. I personally was not a Trekkie. I watched, you know, a couple of dozen episodes. I watched the movies. I watched a bit of the sequel shows and movies. But I believe we have more of a Trekkie in-house tonight. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, it's funny because, like, I do think that, you know, in the Trekkie landscape, like, there's certain Trekkies or Trekkers. I don't even know what the proper term is, but, uh, you know, they give the rest of us uh, Trekkers a, a bad name. Like, I, I never learned Klingon, never, uh, you know, dressed up. Right? Like, I just, I was just a big fan of the show. And it's, it, it's cool because it, it, it's part of, like, my childhood because even though, I was alive during its original run. Um, my mom was, I, my grandfather was a big fan of like sci-fi and stuff. Consequently, my mom was. So my mom got me into uh, stuff like uh, the Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, and uh, Star Trek. And so I was, I was big, loved the original cast. I was always a proponent when people would like compare Next Generation to the original cast. I'm like totally different shows, but original cast was better. Um, you know, and, and, and Spock, Leonard Nimoy, was a linchpin of that original cast. You know, it was, you know, it was almost like McCoy, Spock, and Kirk were all, like, three sides of, like, one person. You know, different uh, sides of someone's personality. And, uh, you know, it was, I, I just loved the show. And it was one of those weird things where, like, you know, like you said, the incredible fan base kind of, once it went off the air... Uh, just there were so many rabid fans that like the animated series came out and like I think it was 73 uh, which you know Leonard Nimoy provided his voice for Spock and then of course the movie started um, in 79 and then uh, and then you had Spock who repri- Leonard Nimoy reprised his role as Spock in the new Star Trek movies that's right yeah. he was on uh, at least Next Generation I didn't watch all the Star Trek shows but he he, he kept popping up as, as Spock like uh, in different uh, versions of Star Trek and everything, and he just he's just a, a pop culture icon, and, and very very sad to see him pass. Yeah, I mean I I've seen a bit of all of it, and Spock really was the the running theme through all of it. He would pop up here and there, and and like you said, one of the major characters, one that everyone identifies with, well not identifies with maybe on a personal basis, the one that people know, live long and prosper. Everyone knows the little hand thing and. And and the ears and you know he was really to a lot of people the epitome of of Star Trek and of course not the only thing he did in his career but I mean that's that's what he's been known for and you know we hope that he uh, will forever live long and prosper in wherever he's gone to uh, you know he's left behind a legacy and uh, we we will remember him always yeah sad sad in his passing so rest in peace uh, Leonard Nimoy and uh, you know again it's it's just it was. Um, you know, it's always tough to transition out of the, the sad stuff, but it, it has been uh, quite a crazy few weeks uh, post our last show. And, and I hope you guys, if you guys didn't listen to it, I mean, there's always the archive shows. Check out our, our Oscar pre-show. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's the best in the business. I, I mean, you know, the, the, the networks and the ETV and all that, they, they try. 
But if you want to hear a real Oscar pre-show, I mean, this, this is where it's at. You don't get better insight into no, the don't. races, the nominees, everything Oscar than you do from, from Pop Life. You don't. And uh, that thud you heard was me just knocking over a bottle of scotch. I hope it wasn't an expensive Luckily, I had the cork in it and nothing spilled. But, yeah, it's, it's funny, man, because I usually have a cocktail when we do the show. And I'm on this weird, like, carb diet. And it's like, so I couldn't have beer tonight while doing the show. And I'm like, I got to have a low carb. So it's not like I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to say not having booze. I, I'll just have scotch because it's a low carb alternative. I digress. So our Oscar show. Um, you know, we, we we gave our picks. Uh, you know, we gave like you said insight, and you want you want to check out that show because it's 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 our big show every year. You know, it's a tradition now. Um, but you know, I put the like I didn't watch the whole show, but I I, I caught a lot of it. Um, you know, it was a good show. I don't think there's a lot of surprises uh, as far as the major award winners, and uh, I think that was our theme like on our show that that you know there there. Kind of there are a few locks, and those locks uh, came away with it. I'm actually curious, though. The one thing that um, – and I think it's a tough thing for anybody to do, and maybe you've got to find your niche. Um, I wasn't crazy about Neil Patrick Harris, and I like Neil Patrick Harris, but I thought at times he got a little too shticky. Um, I – you know, the thing at the end with, with the, the envelope that was oh. locked up I thought was horrible. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying he might not get good – at it and if he's given another shot, but I, I don't know. Like to me, it's like let the show breathe. Don't worry about you know making jokes and and you know being entertaining yourself. Just just be a host. And I don't know. I think he kind of missed the mark a little bit. I liked him for the most part. You know that that lockbox thing with the predictions really was ill timed. I mean, above everything else, it was just we were heading towards best picture coming out of some of the biggest categories, and then we had to spend a few minutes on this thing. I expected Neil Patrick Harris to do something to do with magic. I know that's a big part of his personality and his life. And, and this one was just not well-placed and not super interesting. Um, I did like some of his shtick. I liked his punny little jokes, you know, just like silly dad jokes, groaners, but I appreciate that. The little uh, Birdman spoof was very funny where he was running through the street in his tidy whities and came on stage. I enjoyed that. Um, he, he won an Oscar. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. I, I got a note. You know, We, during our pre-show, had issue with a couple of things, that, namely how to pronounce a couple of the nominees' names. But we did come away with it, I think, in the, in the right way. Neil Patrick Harris, it should be noted, did mispronounce both Chiwetel Ejiofor and David Oyelowo during the broadcast, and everyone, that is how you say those names. Impressive. I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to attempt this. No. That was pretty impressive. But NPH did mangle a couple of names. Um, he he was good. I enjoyed him. There was there were some really heartfelt speeches. You know, the acceptance uh, speeches, some that brought attention to issues without being too political, which I like. Uh, Patricia Arquette's speech. Do you, you like that? Well, I like when they're not too political. But I really appreciated her uh, female empowerment speech. I love J.K. Simmons saying, call your parents. Oh, that was awesome. I like the people who said, you know, look, like the one guy, I forgot what category it was, who said, I had attempted suicide and, you know, I came out of it. I think his quote was, uh, stay weird. Yeah. Which was fine, you know, and there weren't too many of those, but I appreciated those who identified with the characters that they played. 
brought attention to that. So that was, you know, that was good by me. I was okay with that. Yeah, that, that, I, I, the, the, most of those speeches, I thought they were cool. The, the, the Stay Weird was, was cool, and it was heartfelt. And uh, uh, Patricia Arquette's speech kind of bugged me. And I'm not a, you know, not, it's, I don't know. I mean, there's one thing, and, and look, I'm not following Patricia Arquette's career, but this is the first I'm hearing of her, you know, advocating. And I know she's a female, um, and I know, you know, equal wages and everything. And, uh, you know, Meryl Streep was all for that. I mean, they caught her. I mean, she yeah. was jumping out of her seat to a point. So I don't know how, how underpaid Meryl Streep is these days. But it, it's weird. Like It's one of those things, I guess, for, for me. I'm like, wow, it's like, and I get it. 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 That, that like, females are paid less. It's not, but, the, but it wasn't a divisive point. You no, know, it wasn't. It just was like when, it. when there's a millionaire sitting up there saying that, like, I need to be making more money. It just kind of... And I, and I want to know what she, what else she's doing. Right. I want to know, like, was that grandstanding that you happen to have? Like, you won an Oscar, so you got up there and did this. What else are you doing out there? Like, where where are you actually advocating? You know, and that that's the one thing that it comes off as kind of, wow, I have this this soapbox. Let me let me make a statement here, and then really not do anything else as far as uh, advocating for the cause. I, I don't know. It just it kind of bugged me. I'm not a big fan of like anything remotely like that at all. Uh, you know, uh, be nice, be heartfelt, be appreciative, and you know, get the hell off the stage, kind of thing. Right, and you know, it's it's kind of unfair that they give more time to these major category winners and less time to some of the others. After 30 seconds, they're being played off, which is unfortunate. And she had well over a minute. And, you know, had this at the end. I know you're saying, you know, and some people do that. Some people get up at these award shows and say, thank you, you know, and maybe I'll tweet out all of the people I want to thank, which is great. You know, just say, I, I appreciate it, thank you, and that's it. You don't have to thank everybody from your management to your family and, and then make a statement. But like I said, I was okay with the way this one went. That was all right. A couple of uh, surprises, like we said, a lot of locks that won. One of the big surprises, before we get into individual races, there was not like an overwhelming winner at this award show, and I, I was tallying up the the different categories and the different films. Birdman won four awards. The Grand Budapest Hotel won four awards, and we were not behind that for the major awards, and it, it really won some of the more minor uh, awards, such as uh, Score, I think it was, and uh, what else, Production Design, things like that. Whiplash which we both loved immensely, won three awards. And after those three, no other film won more than one single award. So really, love was spread, and Ken and I both very happy about Birdman and Whiplash being some of those multi-award winners. Birdman, of course, winning, among others, Best Picture, Best Director. So, you know, Major Hall and probably the top winner of the night, you'd have to say. Yeah, I think you'd have to say, I mean, you know, again, an Oscar's an Oscar. I'd, lo- I'd love to have an Oscar to put on my mantle. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's face it. Certain Oscars hold uh, more weight than others, and Birdman's four Oscars were definitely more impressive than anybody else's haul. Right. I mean, some major, major uh, Oscars there. I mean, you know, we had talked about uh, you know some of the races that were. Cl- I mean, I thought Best Picture was kind of an interesting race. Yes, and I, I that was one of those races that. I don't think we could say that Birdman was was a lock. You know, the locks that we're talking about, like Julianne Moore and J.K. Simmons for supporting actress and actor, respectively, respectively, were were locks. Right. Those, I mean, those were two performances that I think we would have both been shocked uh, 
right. if those two didn't win those awards. And, and Patricia Arquette as well. You know, those those three in the acting categories. And then we had the ones that were much, much more up in the air. And, and we had our picks, you know. How did you do, Ken? I think I did all right. I mean, it was a weird, like, I don't think there's a lot of shockers. I, I, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to remember my pick for, for Best Picture. I don't think I picked Birdman. Uh, and I had picked Birdman for Best Picture and Boyhood for Best Director because of the way that that vision was uh, played out and the way that it was accomplished by uh, Richard Linklater. So I was one and one there. My big win, I think, was uh, Best Adapted Screenplay going to the imitation game. That one wasn't, I don't think, a lock. It was a stretch for me. I love that movie. So that was a big one for me. And, um, you know, otherwise, you're in the minor categories. We had locks in the big ones. I had pulled, uh, I had said Birdman for best picture, although I would like to have seen the imitation game win. I think we both kind of were saying Birdman is going to. You like you liked Whiplash. I like the imitation game, but I don't think either one of us thought those films were going to win best picture. Yeah, I mean, as far as the, the pictures that I, and I, the only one I missed was Imitation Game. I didn't get a chance to see that, but Whiplash was the only movie that I thought was, was I mean, it blew me away. And and as much as the other movies were great movies, that was the one movie that I almost felt like emotionally exhausted at the end of the film. Right. And I just thought it was, it was a borderline perfect movie. Um, but, you know, I get it. You know, I get why it didn't win. I think one of the, the biggest categories that was... Uh, you know, hotly contested was uh, best actor, right? And uh, you know, it's, it, again, like I, I, I still say, um, theory of everything that to me, Felicity Jones carried that movie. That was the performance of the movie, and that's why. Not taking away nothing from Eddie Redmayne, I, I just, I, I don't know. I just like to me, she was the lead. She carried the movie. I was so much more impressed with her than him. And the more and more I thought about it, just the subtleties in his performance, I would have loved to have seen Bradley Cooper win. Um, interesting now, Bradley Cooper, three years in a row, nominated in an acting category, has yet to bring home the statue. True, true. I mean, I, I had Eddie Redmayne in that category, and so I'll count that. I'll chalk that up as another win for me. <laughs> uh, I had Eddie Redmayne over uh, Michael Keaton, and that was good. But like you said, you know, there were there were some great performances. There always are, but... Best actor was up in the air. Uh, we had mentioned basically everyone except Steve Carell for Foxcatcher. Benedict Cumberbatch, I said, did a great job in the imitation game, but was not in contention. And then you had a lot of good things to say about Bradley Cooper in what was a great movie, a little controversy there, and a great performance. Yeah, I mean, I, and again, it was just one of those things where, like, the subtleties, you know, it's got to be tough to, you know, play a part where, you know, you're you're – you know, as a marksman, you're forcing yourself to stay completely sk- still and, you know, conveying the, the conflict of emotions and, and, you know, some of the stuff that, that the sniper would have to do over there. Um, I, I just thought it was an incredible performance. And, and you would think it's, you know, it's going to be one of those weird things of Bradley Cooper that I feel like at some point he's going to win. Like, it's almost like, like he's going to win for a lesser performance. Like, at some point it's almost going to be like, you know, like those those acting awards where it almost becomes like a lifetime achievement award. Like, right. oh my God, he's been nominated 150 times and, and has never won. Like, he's going to get nominated for a movie and win. That's going to shock everybody. Or will he be one of those guys that gets all these best picture, no- best uh, actor nominations, and then wins best supporting actor at some point? 
you know, something like that. Yeah, like Robin Williams. I mean, who knew, like, when Robin Williams, the way, like, I mean, he all of a sudden breaks through and wins his Oscar. Uh, it was little little film by these, these two unknown guys, uh, you know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Um, but they put together this, this movie, Goodwill Hunting, and out of all, you know, Good Morning Vietnam and Dead Poets Society and all these great performances, uh, you know, he 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 puts an incredible supporting performance in for Goodwill Hunting and wins it. So maybe we see something like that out of Bradley Cooper down the road. And and it's a good comparison to Robin Williams because coming from the start, Robin Williams did with the stand up and Mork and everything that he did, and no one expected it. And Bradley Cooper with very different beginnings as well. I mean, he came into these roles from, of course, the Hangover trilogy. But even well before that, Bradley Cooper was an integral part of one of our favorite films, Wet Hot American Summer. Cult movie, uh, catching on more now that it's been airing more on TV. But, you know, it was a, such a funny movie. And the crazy announcement to some degree, Wet Hot American Summer, if you don't know it, was about the last day of summer camp at, jeez, uh, I don't even remember the name of the camp. It was the last day of camp. And all of these counselors who were supposed to probably be in their late teens, early 20s, were played by much older actors. Now, 15 years later, there's a prequel, the first day of camp, with everybody returning. So they're playing, I mean, not only playing them, you know, five, ten years older, but much older, which will be part of the, the fun. It's coming back as a prequel series on Netflix. So, Ken, you're going to have to invite me over to, uh, to catch these shows. I'm an Amazon guy. You're a Netflix guy. We'll have, to, we'll have to do. We'll have a like a, a premiere night or a watcher because as Netflix does, they release the whole series at once, so you can you can binge it. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it call, you know, again, Bradley Cooper. I always found he was that guy who was like he, that, that guy who was in you know, and he wasn't a household name. And yeah, we didn't know him in Wet Hot. No, but uh, a, such a great quirky little movie. Um, and at some point, you know, we talked before we were meeting. Some point we're going to do a show like dedicated to the state because I can't tell you how many people that we've talked to that I talked to and I'm like, hey, you remember that show, The State? It was a comedy show on, the, and they're like, no, I don't remember that show. And it's it's staggering the influence the state has had on like everyone knows Saturday Night Live's influence. They know that, uh, you know, even in Living Color, like people know that the people don't realize how many. Actors in in the 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 motion picture and TV comic landscape, comedy landscape, came came from this little show called The State that was on in the '90s and uh, just two years, and not this big rotating cast where you could have you know dozens of people to choose from. Two years at MTV with eleven main players. So yeah, I mean it, it is pretty astounding. And they they all they're all around. I mean they they pop up in in. You know different TV shows. I mean Ken Marino's in two shows now. You you know he was on the state. I mean, and in this show, I mean a cult classic. And I bet most people who are so into Wet Hot American Summer don't even realize that you know half those performers are from the state. Right. Um, but but yeah, it has, the, the creative it, team of the state basically you know put that movie together. Yeah, and it was it was a funny movie. It had its you know continuing storyline. It was told well, and then there were these definite. Date moments, these just yeah. little funny scenes, these non sequiturs, these the, the crazy chase scene between two members of the state with Ken Marino and Joe Latrulio. Uh, 
all these these little quirky things that if you knew the state, that's when you said, ah, you know what? I know who's there behind is, this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure I know David Wayne, Michael Showalter behind it, you know, and Michael Showalter was one of the stars. But I mean, really, Ken, watch that. Watch your you booze. Know, I put I put the bottle on the floor next to the desk because I was afraid if I had it on the desk at some point I would knock it off the desk and it's the second time I've kicked the bottle over. But at least it's not shattering. It's just knocked over. And so so you're you're saving We're good the booze. now. We're good. You're saving the booze. <laughs> you know, it's the cast of this movie, besides the people from the state, we're talking about Paul Rudd being one of the main characters. Uh Janine Garofalo had a big role. Christopher Maloney, who you would not suspect being a, a ridiculous comedy like this Amy Poehler was in it, Molly Shannon, uh, Elizabeth Banks before she was really big, David Hyde Pierce had a part, and then you know all these minor uh, comedians and members of the state. It was really a terrific cast, some of them more established, some of them less so, but they came together and made this great movie, and every single one of them is returning for the prequel 15 years later, which I find amazing, and I just can't wait to see it. And I think it's great that, you know, a guy like Bradley Cooper, I mean, let's face it, like Janine Garofalo, probably just someone cast me in something. But, right. you know, a Bradley Cooper, whose star continues to rise, I, I think it's, you know, it says, I mean, you would think that, like, the budget for this can't be huge. And, and for Bradley Cooper to say, yeah, cool, yeah, I'll go back and do Wet Hot American Summer uh, prequel, like, I, that, yeah. that's cool. Like, it's, you know, Bradley Cooper's one of those guys that it's like he's a great actor, it's like he's a guy you'd want to go out and have a drink with, and, uh, he just seems like really down to earth, and it's cool to see a guy like this get this sort of notoriety. Hopefully, he breaks through. But it's great to see him come back, and and yeah. you know he would be the one guy that to me, I would think, hey, I can't see Bradley. Like Bradley Cooper's so beyond doing this, and he's coming back. Uh, like Paul Rudd and Elizabeth Banks don't need this, but they're coming back anyway. You're right, Bradley Cooper. It, it's a surprise, but it's not just the, the returning actors either. There's some some big names have come on, and they must be fans of the original. And like I said, I saw this in the theater. Very few people did. Very few people knew it for the first couple of years uh, in, of its existence. And then it gained this cult following. And I imagine that a lot of these people are just big fans of the movie because to get people like, and I'll just name a few of them, Jason Schwartzman, John Hamm, Weird Al Yankovic, Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, uh, John Slattery, H. John Benjamin, Richard Schiff, uh, Jordan Peele from Key and Peele, just a handful of the names that have joined on to this eight-episode prequel series. And it's just got to be. I mean, you don't get such a cast like this without having something that everyone is saying, I've got to be a part of it. Yeah, it's cool. I'm, I'm pretty psyched to, to see it. And again, we're going to have to have a... A viewing party. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five. That is the number to call. We have Mike who's on the line. Let's bring him up right now. Mike, how's it going? What do you got for us tonight? Hey guys, how are you tonight? Doing all right. We talked a little, uh, you know, a little Oscars, a little uh, Wet Hot American Summer, lots of stuff going on in pop culture. Takeaway. What do you want? What do you want to talk about? Right. How are you doing, Dave? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in Todd. How are you doing, Todd? How are you, Mike? Yes, I understand. All right, all right. I get, I got a little confused, man. You know, yeah. because I'm always calling the Ken Reedy show on a Monday night. Um, this is Thursday, no, uh, and it's hot, but I'm happy to hear from you. No, no, just a little joke, buddy. You know I that. Know, I know. No, yeah, you know I like the joke. Anyway, uh, I was going to say you guys are the best because you recommended the state to me because I wanted to see Thomas Lennon, and I'll tell you. 
I love the odd couple. I fell in love with the odd couple. That well, show you know, has me la- that show has me laughing from the beginning to the end. And you're talking about the Tony Randall Jack Klugman odd couple? No, I'm no, talking I know, about I know you're talking one. about the new one. I know yeah, you're well, I haven't <laughs> seen it honestly. I haven't seen it. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Tom Lennon from the state and, of course, Matthew Perry, one of our favorites. So you enjoyed it. Tell us uh, what's going on. How What's going on in the show? How are the actors? Oh, the actors are great. The, the cast around it is uh, the cast around it is good. Uh, in the beginning, my mother, um, my mother was, was my mother always tries to, like, pick apart like everybody does. She's like, uh, it, 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 it she goes. He's really good, and and it's a good show. But um, I think they're trying to be, you know, who they're trying to be, more like, you know, he can't do the honking like Tony Randall. First of all, Jack Jack Lemon, his his nobody could do the honking like Tony Randall. Jack uh, uh, Jack Lemon, his his was a, a ham ham. It was a you know, like what do you what's that thing you do with your ears? You're trying to clear his ears. And I, I think Thomas Lennon does a great job as portraying Felix Hunger. I think that he's more Tony Randall. I see him more Tony Randall. And as much as Matthew Perry, he was doing a, I seen him on the late show with David Letterman. He was doing the impersonation of Walter Matthau. I see him as a cross between Jack Klugman and, and, um, and, and uh, what do you call? I'm drawing a blank Mr. for some strange reason. Yeah, no. Mr. Tony no, Rand. No, no, um, don't, um, Oscar. Um, I can't believe I just drew a whole blank. Jack Klugman. Jack Klugman. Thank you. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, no, Jack Klugman. Um, you know, it's it, it's also funny, and it's also another thing too. The the odd couple um, show, well, in the movie. Um, the Odd Couple show was in the seventies, and to see to, to see, you know, like like to see all these these new things now with the Odd Couple. First of all, the opening is great. I love the fact that they have like a a hand come down and like kick Felix out, and uh, you know, instead of the traditional Oscar and Felix were kicked out of the house. You know, I like the way they change things. Um, I also, I also, uh, I, I, I like the show. I think it's a good show. I was gonna say I like the way they change things and intertwine. I, I love, um, I love um, Matthew Perry's um, sarcasm. It's great. It's you know, it's almost like Jack Klugman and Walter Matthau together, and 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 it's just a hit. You can see the chemistry between the two. You could really feel the characters, you know. Um, it's just, I just like, and I like how they changed the name. They changed the names of the, of the um, the ex-wives. It's not Blanche, you know. It, it's a different. It's not Gloria. It's different. I would hope not these days. You know, but yeah, a Blanche and a Gloria. They didn't. It wouldn't work now. It worked in the seventies. Yeah. So anything you know, else catch your interest lately? Besides the odd couple, have you been uh checking out anything new, T V movies? What else is going on? I watched Togetherness. I love that show. It's another show I happen to like. I love it. Um 
Amanda Peet's and in another it. guy from the state on that show, Ken Marino. Yeah, Ken Marino. Yeah, there you go, Ken state Marino. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love the show. I love how, um, again, I love the interaction between the characters. Um, it's just it's just a funny show, you know, about a husband and wife, and then their friend, and then her sister, and what you know what would what would actually you know in my mind I'm I'm thinking gee I've been in some of these situations you know that's another thing that 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 I don't know if you guys feel it but I feel it when I watch a show I like to feel something like like to, you know like something that I did like a coincidence kind of. Or something yeah. like, you know, you know, like something we did, you know, something, you know. It was interesting because I saw like a, an interview with, uh, you know, one of the writers and creators, and he was saying that, you know, and, and I like the show a lot. I haven't seen all the episodes. We, we've caught up on a couple, um, and, I, and I think it's a very good show. And he said, I, I think it is like very, it, it's kind of true. It, it's realistic, but it's funny. And the, the creator said, you know, there's a lot of stuff in marriage that's very funny to people that are not in that marriage, you know, and, it was, and I thought it was an interesting statement. It's like, yeah, when you're not the person going through that issue or that, that situation uh, and you can sit back and look at it, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, there's, there's a, I don't want to sound cheesy, but there's kind of a heart to the show and a realism, so it's not a slapstick, uh, you know, throw in some stupid jokes surrounding a, a marriage. It's it's very realistic, and the problems are very realistic, um, but there's some funny moments. I, I think it's a well-crafted show from what I've seen so I, far. I And I agree with you, and you, it's, you're not cheesy. You're speaking from the heart, so it's not cheesy. It's, it's what you feel, you know what I'm saying? So I agree with you. I definitely agree with you on that. I think the show is funny. I, I, I want to see where the characters are going. I, I just, you know, I mean, I hope... You know, I hope every I I, I want to see certain characters interact with certain characters, and I want to see how that show is going to progress. Now listen, you, you you're Go talking ahead. about characters interacting. I got to ask you something. I'll ask yes, you both, sir. Mike. And have you seen The Last Man on Earth? Talking about the lack of interaction of characters. Did you guys catch this? We had a two episode premiere this week. Did you see that, Mike? No, I didn't. Well, where on what pla- on what platform? Sorry. Uh, yeah, what pla- uh, what what station would that be? What platform? You can never know what platform. No, it's it's on Fox. I believe it was Sunday night that it premiered. I don't know if that's its regular night or not, but it's Will Forte as literally the last man on Earth. Uh, some virus wiped out the entire population. He opens the show driving around the country looking for anybody anywhere. And you know what? For a show about one man, it was really funny. He interacted with uh, Mannequin. He, one great scene was where he mocked Tom Hanks and Castaway with uh, Wilson. And then before the episode is over, he's got just a whole crew of sporting ball friends. Uh, it was it was really funny. And Will Forte turns in a tremendous performance. I definitely recommend you check it out. Ken, did you catch I like the Will Forte. I, I did catch it, and it was it was good. It, it was one of those shows that, like, I'm curious how far they can go with this format, but, you know, I, I thought he was very good. He was very funny. I mean, the toughest thing as an actor in any case is, like, with no one else to play off of. So right. the, the the length of time that he's by himself uh, was intriguing. Um, you know, the fact that he, he just takes over a, a mansion and 
he walks in with with Picasso's and the Declaration of Independence and right. something just like accumulated because he can just go in and take things. Uh, it, it was pretty funny. So yeah, I, I thought it was good. I thought the the Castro reference was good. Um, again, I'm just curious, like a show that's really about like nobody, like the right. last person, how long a show like that can can go. Before we let you go, Mike, I'm just curious because we did hit the Oscars. Uh, if, if you, I know you're a big movie guy. Um, as far as you know, the Oscars and the winners, did, did you think uh, it was well deserved? Did and, you get to catch the Oscars? You know what are your thoughts? And right, and you know this question better than anybody. The the the, the Oscars clashed with wrestling. Didn't see the Oscars. Didn't watch any of those movies, so I can't give my opinion on that. So I can't give my opinion. I didn't watch any of those movies. All the movies I watched didn't even come close to winning an Oscar. <laughs> the Mutant Ninja Turtles didn't win an Oscar. You know, <laughs> Oculus didn't win an Oscar. So I can't comment on that. But what I was going to bring up before you guys let me go was the Harrison Ford situation. I feel really bad for him, and I hope he's okay. And you know there's some dummy out there. You guys heard of what happened with the plane crash? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you know there's some dummy out there that's saying, no, you can't die yet. You have to make, you have to be on solo. You have to make a couple more films, and then you can go. And then and then somehow um, you'll get beamed up by Leonard Nimoy. But not now. And that's another <laughs> thing, too, before you let me go. Leonard Nimoy. Sad to my heart what happened to him, but at the same time, you know the Big Bang Theory, another show that I love, yeah. is going to make an episode about it, and it's going to be funny. And Leonard oh, Nimoy, sorry. he was great. I loved him as Spock, you know, and I grew up with watching the, the Star Trek. But, uh, you know, Big Bang Theory is going to do something. Tonight they have something at the end of it, but, you know, I know in my heart of hearts that they're going to make a um, episode they have to because that's that's the characters that's Sheldon Cooper's favorite. Yeah, he's been on the show. Guy. He's been one of the great guest stars that they've had. Yeah, that was funny. Well, did you guys see that? Did you guys catch the episode when he breaks the toy? Yeah, that was so. Yeah, the toy, right? It was so funny. I was like, um, well, it was it was great. It was great. But uh, on that on the note about the Oscars, Ken didn't watch them. You know, my mother said, oh. I've seen. She goes. She was. She was horrible. She was. She was. Not. She was horrible. She said to me, "Oh, it was so disgusting seeing um, Neil Patrick Harris in his underwear." I said, "Hey, mom, <laughs> can you ever watch How I Met Your Mother?" Yeah. I don't think, <laughs> that's right. So, so, so I, I, I don't. So I don't think. Um, what do you call? It? I had to watch How I Met Your Mother, and then my father was talking to me the other day. My father's funny. He calls me. He's like, "Hey, Mike." Yeah. He's like, you know a guy named Anthony Mason? And I'm like, I knew a guy named Mike Mason, right? And he's like, yeah, well, he died. And I'm like, what? He died? I said, wait a minute, Dad. He died Saturday, and he was a basketball player. I said, and then he says to me, did you ever see that girl? She's in UFC. I said, yeah. She goes, Ronda, Ronda something. She's, she's, she's great. She knocked out these guys. I said, Dad, she's, she's going she's gonna to be in that new movie, Entourage. So my father's like, Entourage, what, the movie? I said, yeah. He goes, well, um, I'll wait till it comes out on HBO. I said, Dad, I'll take you to see that that that, 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 mo- that movie. 
He says, I don't want to sit in the theater um, with old people. I said, Dad, you're not going to sit in the theater with old people. Give me a break, you know, trying to get the, trying to get my dad out. But the, the whole reason why I brought it up is because I know I went around, but it was so, I had to get that out. It was so funny. And Thank then you, Mike. Entourage that was... is making a mo- and Entourage is making a movie, and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's going to be good down the line with Germany. Yeah, Germany. That thank you, Mike, for that. We really appreciate it. You you tell great uh, stories. You always have a lot to say on our well, show. Well, I know I talk a lot, but I try to make sense and I try to be funny. And, and people, a lot of people tell me I, do, I am funny, but yeah, you did the I job, today, man. Thanks a lot, Mike, for the call. I'll talk to you next time. I'll talk to you next month, guys. Thank you. Stay easy, brother. Bye-bye. 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 You got the stream of consciousness that is yeah. Mike. Bro, that was awesome. <laughs> and you know the thing about Mike, he likes everything. He does. He's, he's great for the show because he can talk a little bit about everything. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with it. If you're a pop culture fan and you like everything, you're never let down, which is you know terrific. <laughs> you're really not. I mean, I I didn't watch The Odd Couple because I heard some negative things, but Mike loved it, and that's you know really I envy him. It's great. I actually you know it's funny, man, because and he brought up a really good point because like. You know, and, and I don't know how old his parents are, but, you know, you just kind of like, you know, you know there, there are probably a bunch of, like, older people out there, like, that were like, you know, what's that on the TV? It's the Oscars. And then, what's he doing in his underwear? That didn't, didn't just wear underwear when I, when I, when I on my Oscars. <laughs> I think I'm picturing poor Mama Ferrara just, just flabbergasted that there's a man running around the Oscars in his tidy whities you know, that's you know. Don't worry. That's Doogie. He's a kid. Don't worry about it. Well, listen, man. Speaking... That was a good call. That was a good call. And by the way, like I didn't get to, you know, the stream of consciousness went on. I mean, maybe I got to catch another episode. I, I didn't. I, I did watch uh, the Odd Couple. I only watched one episode. Um, I really wanted to like it, and I love. I love the both of them. Right. I mean, I know some people like you know. Once a guy's like really successful, like Matthew Perry, it's trendy like not to like him. But I like Matthew Perry a lot. And, uh, you know, obviously from the state, I like Thomas Lennon. I, I didn't think the show was very good. But, but per Mike's uh, recommendation, uh, maybe I will, I will give it uh, another shot and, and see, you know, maybe, maybe I saw the worst episode out of, uh, out of yeah. the, uh, the, the couple that have been on. But um, Speaking of reboots, Ken. Nice. Speaking of reboots. Well done. There's something else going on. You know, we talked about the uh, Wet Hot American Summer Reunion. This is not a reunion so much as a complete reboot, and I'm talking about the new Ghostbusters movie being made with an all-female Ghostbusters cast. And, you know, quite a cast they've got, depending on, you know, your interest. Nobody can say anything bad about Kristen Wiig. There are big Melissa McCarthy fans out there. I like her. I know Ken has, you know, some qualms. But really, Going uh, a little bit smaller and going very Saturday Night Live with this. You're not going any smaller, Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> we we're definitely going smaller after Melissa McCarthy. Oh, after, okay. Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones from Saturday Night Live and potentially Cecily Strong. I'm not sure what part she's playing, but but the main four Ghostbusters, Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, I'm looking forward to it. I'm an SNL fan, and, you know, honestly... Kristen Wiig's name here appears on my notes three times because we'll be talking about SNL later, Wet Hot American Summer, and now Ghostbusters. And I don't know, I don't think this is a Lorne Michaels movie, but for some reason, this is just SNL heavy. I'm looking forward to it. I'm a 
huge, huge fan of the original Ghostbusters movie. I was hoping they would come back and put something together with the original cast. I know some of them were on board. Not everyone. I'm sure Bill Murray was a part of this thing not being made, unfortunately. But, you know, Bill Murray can do what he wants these days. What do you think, Ken? What, what do you think of the new cast? Well, it, it's, you know, it's a shame. And, and uh, you know, I mean, not the original cast, not all of them are with us anymore, which right. is sad. And, uh, you know, you hear the stories that Bill Murray, is, and I love Bill Murray, but maybe he's not the, the nicest guy to be around. And, uh, you know, and who knows? Um, I hate it. <laughs> I do. I, I just hate uh, this, this movie. I mean, for me to go see this movie, the, the reviews are going to have to be absolutely stellar. And I'm a big fan of the original I liked the sequel, but the sequel wasn't that good. In fact, I found the sequel to be almost like a two-hour version of the cartoon. Okay, uh, yeah. I thought it was, it was very like similar to to an episode of like the the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Right. Um, Little Slimer, a lot of slime, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, I, again, I thought it was entertaining, but I, you know, nothing compares to the first one. And to I, I don't know, I you know, like when, when I first heard that they were going to reboot the Ghostbusters, and I heard that. In some way, shape, or form, like, Bill Murray was going to be dead, and he was going to be a ghost, and they were going to tie it in that way. And I was like, ah, maybe that would work, because it's, it's, that's, a, that's a neat way to tie into the, the original franchise. Um, and, and I like the cast. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like the cast. I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's going to be a stretch that we're going to see Melissa McCarthy, uh, you know, playing a, a large, loudmouthed uh, woman, um, which, you know, she never does. Um, but I do like... And that was sarcasm. Um, but I love Kristen Wiig, and, and I think that the cast has a lot of potential, but I, I don't know. I just, um, you know, I mean, some reboots are, are great. Some reboots, uh, you know, are okay. I, I, I don't know. Like, to me, this is like one of those movies that I kind of, I look at as a classic, and for me, it's like, leave well enough alone. Now, if, they, if it, this movie comes out and the reviews are, like, off the charts, you know, I'll give it a chance. But as a... a I don't know, a purist, a, a child of the 80s, um, I, I'm, I'm not liking it. I'll 100% see this on cable. You know, because I'm a fan of the franchise, if you can consider this part of the franchise, you know, it's an offshoot, but I'll see it. I also like the cast very much, but I couldn't help when I heard about these, uh, these women being cast in, in the Ghostbusters roles, couldn't help but compare them to the original Ghostbusters. Who's going to be... The uh, the Winston Zedmore type. Who's going to be the? I don't know why I started with Winston Zedmore, <laughs> but who's going to be the Egon and who's going to be the um, you know Bill Murray? I, I'm at a loss right now. Ray Stance and who? But I don't know that that's going to be the case. You know, you can't really match them up, and it was hard to figure out out of these people who would be which character. One interesting thing though, you brought up with Melissa McCarthy is. Yes, yeah, she is kind of the, the bold, loudmouth character. If anyone knows Leslie Jones from Saturday Night Live, she is just a, a big loudmouth. She is the, the tough, loud character. So one of those two is going to have to change the role that they've normally played. Now, Leslie Jones hasn't been doing much on camera you know, until the last few months anywhere, but she's a lot of fun. Kate McKinnon is another one. She is one of the best... Uh, actresses on Saturday Night Live right now but I've only seen her in short sketches. She's hilarious but none of those characters she plays could be expanded to be one of those SNL movies. Now we're going to see her in a different role on the big screen you know, for a couple of hours 
I hope that she does well. She is very funny, but I, I, you know, I have not qualms, just high hopes. I have high hopes for this overall, and like you said, Ken, I, I hope it gets reviewed well. I hope that it does well. I'd be happy for not only the Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters franchise, but for these women as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're they're taking on a a, a beloved piece of material, and that's you know, and we've seen so many reboots. I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know, Hollywood. It's almost if it worked before, it'll work again. Let's reboot it. Um, you know, I mean, I, I on one hand, you know, it's like I'm not looking forward to it, um, and I don't like the fact that they've recast it. But at the same time, I, I want it to be really good. Like, I don't want this to be, um, you know, sullying the, the Ghostbusters name. I mean, to me, Ghostbusters, the first one, it's a comedy classic. And, and especially when you, when you want to take the decade of the 80s, uh, it, it's on a short list as far as you start ranking comedies of the 80s, comedies of that decade. Comedies of all time. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a classic piece of material that... I don't know. To me, it's like dangerous, man. When when you reboot that, and and the one thing, and I, and I know I keep saying it, but like Melissa McCarthy, aside from what, Saint Vincent, was that the name of the movie? Saint Vincent that she's in with Bill Murray, right? Um, you know, she she basically plays subtle differences, but she's basically playing the same part. And it's like when I when I heard the cast, and I'm not a big fan of like them them rebooting something this classic, but the fact that that is this going to be another Melissa McCarthy vehicle? Like, and that that's kind of like my, my thing. Like, it, you're taking a classic piece of comedy, and is this just going to be another Melissa McCarthy movie? And I think right now with her career, there's almost, there, like, there's a genre. Aside from St. Vincent, there's a genre of Melissa McCarthy movies that she plays a, a, a large, obnoxious, loudmouth individual. Obviously, at some point we find out that... that there's some heart there, and I, I'm like to me, it's like I'm I'm looking at this. It's like you're taking this this the Ghostbusters, one of the all-time great comedies, and you're turning it into a Melissa McCarthy uh, vehicle. Now maybe that won't be the case. I hope it's not the case. She's obviously the biggest star out of these four women, but I I could see them also making this a, a real big uh, career move for Kristen Wiig. Bridesmaids was big. She could be a big breakout star. So I hope that it, at the very least, there are two women carrying this. The original Ghostbusters was a three-person movie. Then finally we got the fourth Ghostbuster brought in halfway through. And I hope this is not about two people and everyone else just around them. I really hope this is an ensemble. But you make a good point. You know, a Melissa McCarthy movie, uh, she hasn't been a part of an ensemble. She really is the lead in the movie she takes on, whether it's one or two people, you know, she had the heat with Sandra Bullock, but she hasn't been part of a group of people. She hasn't been the background character. She's, right. You know, and the thing is in the heat, and I thought the heat was funny. And I, but I think that the, the heat was great because you had a great straight person. So that movie was still kind of a Melissa McCarthy vehicle. You just put an incredible straight person in the role with Sandra Bullock, which really kind of, to me, that was one of those movies that, you know, tempered her. So it wasn't like it, it didn't get as irritating. And, and when she's around a great straight person, even in Identity Theft with Jason Bateman, that helped a lot, too, because I think Jason Bateman is very good. Yeah. Um, again, I'm just hoping that this is not uh, another 
Melissa McCarthy vehicle because again, I, I know I keep saying it, but the original was so good, and I don't think the original you, you really looked at any of those guys as as stars of the movie, stars of the movie. It was an ensemble. It was, and, and even with Ernie Hudson being the the fourth member added late. So even even Sigourney Weaver and Rick Moranis. Yeah, it, it just you know they were all they all had their parts. It was well written. It was well crafted. Um, it was just a, a real solid comic movie and uh you know i again i i'm hoping but i'm i'm very very nervous and, and cautious uh with with uh what i'm seeing here with the casting but uh interesting though i mean there is a lineage though a bit with the first the first ghostbusters now the reboot because we do have snl cast members that were in the original right and that snl you know thread if you will uh continues in, in the reboot uh, of Ghostbusters. And you're talking, of course, about Bill Murray in the original, who, by the way, played Peter Venkman. It hit me. <laughs> he was Peter Venkman. Uh, but, yeah, you know, Bill Murray from the original, he was a Aykroyd. real... I'm sorry? And Dan Aykroyd. Oh, and Dan Aykroyd, of course. I mean, uh, both both from the original cast of Saturday Night Live. Uh, Bill Murray, a rising star. Dan Aykroyd, you know, a little more established at the time. But, yeah, you know, the SNL lineage throughout and... Uh, Saturday Night Live, a big part of what's been going on the last uh, several weeks as well in, in pop culture. Yeah, I mean, you know, SNL is one of those things, and, and you're you're a bigger fan than I, and, and we'll talk about this. But uh, you know, it you know, number one, what's weird to me is is as we, we get older, you know, seeing these 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 institutions that uh, having these major anniversaries that uh, you know started after I was born. Um, so incredibly enough, SNL turns forty and. You know, I'm not I'm not a big fan now. I go through phases with SNL. Right now, I don't watch it as much. Uh, and it's amazing with, uh, like Mike said, what platform is it on? I mean, today's media, a lot of times I don't watch an SNL episode, but if someone says an episode is really good, I'll, I'll try and catch it, or I'll catch some of the sketches online. You know, and that's a lot of how I'll watch SNL now. Um, but i got to say, watching the 40th anniversary special... And when you you essentially have forty years crammed into one show, um, it was astounding to really. I mean, we talk about the state, and, and the state was you know that little show that that could and and has really done a lot. But I mean, when you look at SNL and over the years and its influence in in, in movies and media and TV and uh, the stars that spawned off of that show, it's it's pretty staggering really is. I mean, the show itself, not just not just the stars of the show, but the guest hosts, the musical guests that were there, the fans of the show that were there. I mean, really, for, what, three and a half hours, this show, this reunion special, had an, a, a presence of people that was really rivaling the Oscars. I mean, tremendous number of stars that were on stage and in the audience. And I gotta say, I, I just read that uh, the the viewership for the reunion was the highest viewership NBC has had for a non-Super Bowl show in 10 years. Wow. So, you know, it was on against things like the NBA All-Star Game and who knows what else. And This thing really blew it away. Over 23 million viewers. Big show. Like you said, big stars. And, you know, I'm just wondering, do you have a favorite part of the reunion special? Um, You know, I... I I don't know if I had a favorite part. I, one of my favorite parts, 
I, I thought they did a real classy job. And now, now I'm going to say something positive about Melissa McCarthy. Um, playing the, the van down by the river guy, Chris Farley, I, I liked it. And Emma Stone uh, doing her best, Gilda Radner. I thought that was a real classy way to pay tribute to those who had passed. I, I thought that was well done. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I had a, a favorite moment. One, you know, it's fun. I don't know if you saw this, but Jimmy Fallon was talking about being on the show and, and the after party. And, and I wish that they, like, someone needed to put a camera in the after party because they just had a stage set up with music, with, with instruments. And then all the musicians that were there uh, for the, the show just got up and started jamming. And, and Jimmy Fallon was kind of uh, hammered and, and just started hosting it. And it was like, hey, Taylor Swift, you want to come up here and sing something? And there, there's a band assembled and everything. And uh, uh, Dave Chappelle came up to uh, Jimmy Fallon and was like, uh, I think I've heard that Prince is here, and if you play it right, you know, you, you might be able to get him up on stage. And Jimmy Fallon admittedly said, you know, he had a few cocktails, and uh, as as he's being suge- suggested to, you know, if you play it right, he just stood up, grabbed the microphone, and said, it's Prince in the house, want to come up here and jam? <laughs> and uh, Subtle. And, and, <laughs> Jimmy, and you just it was great because you could just picture, because, you know, I know I'm a Prince fan, but if anyone who knows, who's seen Prince and knows how he carries himself, Jimmy Fallon said it was like the parting of the Red Sea, and all the crowd parted, and it was like Prince levitated to the stage and got up there and uh, just said, yeah, sure, I'll do a song, and, and got up there and just went dilly inebriated and, and went into Let's Go Crazy, and I was nice. like, that would be something that I wish the cameras were there um, for the after party, but but that being said, I, I just thought they, you know, the show, like the pacing was good. So it's tough for me to say oh, this was my favorite moment. But uh, you know, as the way they used uh, people, the musical number was great, um, and the way they they br- brought people in on that, I, I just thought it was. Hold on. It was are, are you talking about the opening musical number or the the Martin Short Beyonce musical? The Martin the Martin Short. Okay, because they were both great. But yeah, I I agree with you. That was really fun. They they not only did they talk about past musical acts but brought in some of the ones live you know they had the uh will ferrell and a gas pair the the high school teachers they had yeah the uh cat and garth and cat in the audience doing a number that you know a, a bunch of them so i i agree that was a, a fun part and and martin short and my rudolph were hilarious up on stage as the host and it was like does, does martin short have like a, a like mime training or something like can anyone do like Walking against the wind better than than Martin Short. I mean, it's like I'm. And it was funny because I was out. We were out at a at a bar, and they they put it on, and they and we're just sitting there watching. And it was one of those like, you know, it doesn't happen often. And most of the time, when you go out to a bar, it, it's uh, you know, it's um, you know, sporting events will will grab everyone's attention. But this is one of those things that you know was put on the TV, and uh, you know, the bar kind of shut up and was really into watching the show and. Uh, Martin Short, man, walking against the wind. It was just, uh, it, it was, it was mesmerizing. It, it was incredible. But I, I will say, you know, one of my favorite moments. And again, I thought it was, it was really, really, uh, just solid writing. And 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 we talk about it on the show. You know, early in the show, we talk Leonard Nimoy. Um, a lot of times on the show, unfortunately, we we've had to talk about celebrities passing, and it, it's the most difficult thing when you're doing a show, to somehow, like, 
Yeah, oh God, you know, we're sad. Rest in peace, you know, definitely a legend. So let's get into pop culture now. I mean, it's the it's the hardest thing to do when you do a show like this, uh, even the wrestling show we're talking about, and then like segue into, you know, hey, this wrestler passed away. Let's talk about Monday Night Raw. You know, it's 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 so difficult. And when when I tell you the entire bar gasped when they flashed John Lovitz's picture up there because we were all like, wait, no. <laughs> How did we not hear about this? And then they cut to him in the crowd. I thought that was brilliant. Hilarious. He's the butt of that joke. You know, well, not that joke, but butt of the joke in general very often, and especially on Saturday Night Live. And, you know, it's funny the way they use him. Uh, I, I thought that was a, a funny moment. They also did a couple of great uh, re- revisits to sketches, like a, a hilarious Celebrity Jeopardy and a pretty good Wayne's World sketch, which I enjoyed greatly. Um, they did tributes to uh, New York City and its role in the show, which was really good. They had a great uh, recap of some of the auditions of both cast members and those that didn't make it. I didn't think that even at three and a half hours, it was overly long. It kept my interest throughout. None of the individual pieces was too long. They had so much to get to. So I really enjoyed it. And, you know, Martin Short, you know, speaking of Martin Short, Try to segue here. (laughs) Try to segue. Speaking of the guy we mentioned eight minutes ago, (laughs) he was one of those cast members that was on for just one season, already somewhat well-known. And this is the, I believe, the 1984 or 85 season. Impressive. Well, uh, again, big fan. But we're talking about, you know, you had the original cast, the five years or so, and then Lorne Michaels left, and we had just a slew of, Really weak seasons. You know, maybe Eddie Murphy, of course, the star. Alfalfa, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. Every little moment he did, the uh, the moment where he dressed as a white person, the, the kill my landlord sketch, I mean, they, on and on. Joe Piscopo was decent during those years, and I had a couple of breakout stars. Julie Louis-Dreyfus was on during that time. But when that era kind of ended, they brought in a few established stars trying to bring the show back from the old... Saturday Night Dead, you know, trope. They they brought in Billy Crystal and Michael McKeon, uh, not Michael McKeon, Christopher Guest, um, and Martin Short, who did a really good job of, uh, you know, bringing this show back from the brink and played some well-known characters, even in that one season. And then, of course, the show went into that uh, late 80s tremendous cast with, you know, people, really those of our generation most identify with if you were too young to remember the original not ready for primetime players then you remember the cast with dana carvey and phil hartman and victoria jackson you know and and leading into mike myers and kevin nealon that's really where it started for a lot of us yeah and that was a really good cast and it's interesting because like martin short i mean there's certain guys and it's interesting when you watch snl and really watch their careers afterwards like Martin Short, it's almost like his niche is sketch comedy. Yeah, and and he's just really good at that. But it's it's like you know the money though is obviously in movies and getting your own TV show, and that's so I I understand why these guys you know wind up leaving and whatever. But there's certain guys and like that cast, the Dana Carvey, who really has not found his niche post SNL. Um, you know some stand-up specials that have been good. Uh, there was Opportunity Knox, just a classic movie. Uh, I, I liked the Wayne's it. World. I liked it too. Yeah. Um, you know uh, the Wayne's World movies, but uh, but brilliant, 
brilliant at, at, at sketch comedy. You know, just just amazing. Perhaps the linchpin of of that cast, but he was incredible. Hilarious impressionist, really good. Did people that you'd never seen him do before. Uh, did a lot of the, the people that other actors on the show would impersonate, and he could do them better. I actually saw him live in Vegas, and uh, he did impressions, you know, from you know, the every end of the spectrum. Really funny. And, of course, you know, Phil Hartman, who was there forever, and unfortunately another one that we lost. John Lovitz during that time. Mike Myers, probably the big breakout with uh, movies from Wayne's World to Shrek and everything else that he's done since. You know, the show, uh, it has its ups and downs. And while we were talking about this before we went on the air, I kept saying to Ken, we went from this really great 80s cast into the, the kind of era of the idiots. And I, I said that a lot, and not that they were bad on the show, but the show just took a different turn when you had uh, Chris Farley and Rob Schneider and Adam Sandler and David Spade and, you know, the, the Gap Girls and the uh, You Like It a Juice. And <laughs> you Like It a Juice. I mean, really went in a different direction, but, you know, not that it was bad. And, and big careers came out of that, too. You know, Adam Sandler is one of the biggest stars, you know, in the world, the comedy world right now. It was funny, man. Like recently, I was talking to my niece, and uh, she asked for apple juice. <clears throat> and I looked at her and said, You like it a juice, Dad? <laughs> and she's like, What? You like it a juice? And said, She didn't think it was funny. <laughs> I get you some of the juice. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's one, of those, it's one of those quotable sketches if you're you know around for that era. And, uh, you know, for me, and, I, and it's debatable, but in the 90s, you know, to me, Dennis Miller. Was was the man as far as the news, and I'd still and there, there have been great newscasters, I guess you'd call them, over the years. Uh, you know, going back to Chevy Chase, uh, Tina Fey, obviously Seth Meyers as a recent. Um, but that was the era that, to me, Dennis Miller was was the best. I, I loved his delivery. I loved uh, you know uh, just everything about how he he delivered the news and. Uh, you know, it was it was an interesting era because it's it's easy with SNL to go back and say, you know, the original cast was the best. And I'd probably still say the original cast was the best, but but the '90s uh, as as it evolved in the late '80s and early '90s and the idiots as as we say, um, we got to get like one of them on the show and just say we we've, we've nicknamed you guys the idiots. What do you think of this? Um, I'm sure some of them would be happy with. They it. would be. They, they should not, be. They David, David Spade should be happy with he, that. He'd agree with yeah. it. But, uh, you know, it, it definitely, um, and, and a lot of those guys continue to work together now. Uh, absolutely, you know, they do. Uh, you know, of course, one of the first instances of this was the Blues Brothers leaving the show, you know, to go and do their movies and working together. Chevy Chase was the first one to leave, and, you know, not a lot of people realize that he was on the show for one season. He was he was the breakout star doing uh, the, the Pratt Falls, Gerald Ford, of course, the news, iconics like the Land Shark. He was the first Weekend Update actor. He left, and they brought in Bill Murray to replace him. And Bill Bill Murray was not popular. He did he was not loved, and he actually came out and made a plea to the audience, you know, like me, give me a chance, and really broke through from there. So you know, the eight, considering the crossover with Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, the eight original stars, really, you can't argue with any of them being among the best of the best uh, cast members of Saturday Night Live, but. Then again, a lot of this stuff just doesn't hold up, and there were some very weird moments in the in the early years. Whereas now, uh, 
whether a sketch is good or bad, it's not completely wow, what what was that? Whereas back then you had some things that you know really didn't make sense. Probably would have fit better on something like uh the state or Mr. Show than it did on the uh what you picture Saturday Night Live being. I'm a big fan of the current cast, I gotta say. And even the cast that came on in the nineties, I mean you can't argue with some of the big stars being Will Ferrell, uh Jimmy Fallon, of course, Tracy Morgan, uh, Will Forte, who we were just discussing, came out. Jason Sudeikis is a tremendous, tremendous funny man. Kristen Wiig now and Andy Samberg. And the current cast is very funny as well. So I have been watching. I haven't missed a show in probably about 30 years. You know, watched, if not Saturday, by the end of the weekend. So I am a huge fan. As far as Weekend Update goes, by the way, Dennis Miller is great. I'm also, and Ken would disagree with me here, a big fan of Kevin Nealon behind the news desk. I, I knew you were going to say that. But then <laughs> that, that series from uh, Jimmy Fallon and Tina Fey were a great team. Jimmy Fallon left and Tina Fey teamed up with Amy Poehler, and that was uh, you know the first all-female news team. And they were hilarious, a whole different dynamic. So, you know, that was one of the, the linchpins of the show that has evolved over the years. Another linchpin, I don't know if you have a favorite here, but you know they do a lot of political stuff, and they've portrayed you know, all of the, the big leaders, especially President of the United States. I'm a big fan of the uh, Daryl Hammond, Bill Clinton. I don't know if you have a favorite out of everyone who's portrayed the President. I, I love uh, Daryl Hammond's Clinton. Um, it, it's, it's always tough to argue with uh, Dana Carvey, though, getting back to Dana. I mean, Dana Carvey... You know, the one thing that I think is, is brilliant that, that people forget that, and it might be the only impression in the history of impressions that you can say this, but it got to a point where other comedians were not impersonating Bush. They were impersonating Dana Carvey's impersonation of Bush. Absolutely. His, his impersonation became so popular. I mean, everybody, everybody on the street, everyone like, not going to do it, not going to, now new, huge taxes. You know, everyone just knew it, and, and there was such a, a great time period um, for him. When, and then when he started doing, he was doing Bush, he was doing Ross Perot. Um, they had it, those sketches where they had to actually tape him doing Perot yes. against him doing Bush. It, it's tough to argue against, you know, him and what? Because it was funny, like the early versions of, of like political impressions, to, like they, they they didn't concentrate so much on being like the the personality aspects of that politician. They were just, hey, I'm I'm you know I'm Ford, but it wasn't like they were trying to nail exactly what Ford was like. Whereas I I, I think that. The impressions changed over the years, and, I, and obviously Phil Hartman's Clinton was very good as well. Yeah, Hart, Hartman's Clinton. Hartman also did good. Ronald Reagan. I was going to say that the, after Chevy Chase's Ford, which was not really Gerald Ford, Dan Aykroyd's Jimmy Carter really embodied who Jimmy Carter was, even though he was sitting there with a mustache and not <laughs> looking anything like Jimmy Carter. But he really embodied uh, Carter, and then all the way through to uh, again, very iconic. Uh, Will Ferrell as uh, the second Bush uh, who ended up after we left the show doing a one man show on Broadway as yes. uh, George H.W. Bush um, sorry oh, W just George W. Bush at this point 
uh, W, as, w. as we like to call him. And, of course, Farrell called him all the time. So, yeah, that's another iconic aspect of the show. You know, hey, what can you say? They've done so much. The, the hosts, the, the five-timers club, the movie careers that have come out of it, you know, it really is an iconic thing to, to be on the air for 40 years in that same time slot, live from New York, you know, 1130 Saturday night. It's SNL, so there's not much you can say, you know, uh, about something that's been such an institution of American television. For, for really more than half the time we've had television, SNL has been a part of it. You know, I mean, I, honestly, when you look at that show, I mean, if you wanted to start to, you know, break down television history... Um, or just, you know, entertainment history in general. Um, I don't know if you could pick a more influential show as far as pop culture as a whole, you know, and, and, and that's, that's, that's impressive to be a show that, you know, I mean, give me that show. I mean, again, we, and I said earlier, we talked about the state and the state is one of those shows that like people are surprised wouldn't realize how how many guys spawned off the state uh that being said you know the guys that spawned off snl and if you're gonna sit here and, and we're gonna argue uh you know the the most influential television show in the history of television as far as its impact on on entertainment as a whole i'd be hard pressed to find an argument against snl and uh that that's that's some pretty high praise Want to play a little game before we move on, Ken? Yeah. You know, I I found this great article that broke down the post-SNL careers of their alumni. It was talking about uh, box office for anyone who's been on the show in a lead role, box office for anyone who's been in a movie in a supporting role, best average uh, rating of their movies on Rotten Tomatoes. But why don't I just throw this at you, Ken? This is worldwide gross for films with... An actor from SNL in a lead role. A lead role in current dollars, so, you know, adjusted for inflation. Who do you think would be at the top of the list, grossing the most of the box office, having been on Saturday Night Live for at least some amount of time? So this is, this is on average? This is, no, they're total. They're I mean, total? Total gross. Total gross. Um, it's not, you know, it's funny because Eddie Murphy's had such a long-standing career. He did a lot of bad movies, but he's been in the movies for a while, so... I mean, obviously Bill Murray's been in there, but you know, and obviously Eddie Murphy's got the Shrek movies. So I, I think I'd go with Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy was number one by a pretty wide margin. His movies have made nine billion dollars in uh, in current dollars, which is outstanding. And like you said, you know, counting the Shrek movies and everything from Beverly Hills Cop and uh, the you know the Trading Places, he had some bad movies that made a lot of money anyway. Some of the more recent. Daddy Daycare, you know. So he's had this uh, huge career. You mentioned Bill Murray. He was uh, seventh on the list. Wow, seventh. Seventh with $3 billion. Well, there, there might Will be... Where's Will Ferrell? He's up there? Will Ferrell is right behind Bill Murray. Uh, behind Bill Murray? Right behind Bill Murray with $2.8 billion. I'm trying to think of what his big vehicles were. I mean, he wasn't a star um, uh, of the uh, Mike Myers what do you call it, Austin Powers movies. Mike Myers, number four, by the way. And number three, two and three, not really fair. You know, you could guess beyond that if you'd like, but number number two was Ben Stiller, who was a, a supporting, a featured player for a very short amount of time. And number three, Robert Downey Jr., who was on during that uh, 
weird, small 1984-85 season. Uh, he his movies have made 6.4 million dollars, including, of course, Avengers. Yeah, and I would have never guessed. guessed no, them. but there there are some others. You want to take one more? You take one more shot at who's on the list? Who's on? All right. Well, let's see. We mentioned Will Ferrell. All right. Opportunity knocks. Dana Carvey's not going to be there. Um, maybe Aykroyd or, or or Chevy Chase. There you go. I'll give you the Chevy Chase. We don't want to. Dan Aykroyd, one point eight. Billion and Chevy Chase 1.5, okay, right next to each other behind uh, Bill Murray, Will Ferrell, Billy Crystal, Aykroyd and Chase, Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, really, Jason Sudeikis and David Spade. Oh. Spade, I get, you know, with Wait, where's the, uh, where's Sandler on the list? Sand- oh, do we miss him? Sandler was uh, number five behind oh, Mike Myers okay. and right ahead of Chris Rock and Bill Murray. So. You know, just a fun fact, and uh, you know, I, I won't go into the rest of it. I, I enjoyed reading this article, whose whose movies were reviewed well, reviewed poorly, and all that. But just an example of the influence that Saturday Night Live has had on our uh, pop culture over the forty years that it's been around. I mean, can you can you argue? I mean, honestly, if you were going to say, give me a show that's had more of an influence on on pop culture as a whole, I mean. I, I I don't know if you can. I I I mean I wouldn't even begin to. But Ed Sullivan show back in the day. I mean you know, maybe, but like it's the first thing that popped in my head was the Tonight Show. You're right, Ed Sullivan even ahead of that. But the Ed Sullivan show did have a huge influence on what television would become. I don't think that it was a star making vehicle for the most part. I mean you've got the Beatles of course, but. Saturday Night Live has influenced not only what television would be, it produced talent, it you know really did uh, it put sketch comedy into the mainstream and really has formed what that would be. So I think you're right. Nothing more influential uh, in the history of television than Saturday Night Live. Pretty amazing. And again, it's 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 pretty amazing. Like the stuff that's happened over the the past month or so, like since our last show, and it's a. Uh, as we're catching up, you know, we did our Oscar binge, trying to catch up on Oscar movies and uh, the SNL special, so it left us in a, a binge-watching television kind of thing. Uh, we kind of hit it a little bit, but any any other shows you kind of were, were really catching up on, like as, uh, you know, as we get into TV or anything new? I mean, we kind of hit a little bit with Mike, but uh, new shows, mid-season replacements going, and obviously trying to catch up on movies, you wind up binge-watching a lot of the DVR stuff. You know, it's my DVR. I was thinking about starting big on the non-Oscar movies. I still got saved up uh, the new Star Trek Into Darkness and Godzilla, and I not I, enough Godzilla. No, there was not enough Godzilla in Godzilla. In, in Godzilla, uh, I didn't get to it yet, but uh, you know, I don't think that's a big spoiler for me. I don't mind you telling me that. Um, I did start watching Captain America: The Winter Soldier. That's what I'm in the middle of now. But it, as far as television. I I cannot help but keeping up with Gotham week to week because I love it. I have fallen behind on some shows, but I'm up on Gotham. Uh, I'm generally up on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Surprisingly for me, I'm a little behind on Archer. I had a couple of new shows that I tried to watch, and it's not that I left them for lack of quality or interest, but I watched the first episode of 12 Monkeys, and did not have the time to continue. I watched three episodes of Marvel's Agent Carter. And that one I was enjoying, maybe not even as much as 12 Monkeys, but when I saw the six hours 
taken up on my DVR. <laughs> I just said, you know what, it's, it's got to go. I've got to drop it. And uh, that's, you know, that's been it for the new shows. Uh, now I think that I'm going to stick with uh, The Last Man on Earth. Yeah, I'm definitely going to stick with that. I mean, per Mike, I, I didn't like the new Odd Couple um, at all. Um, but maybe I'll give it another shot. Um, I binge-watched. I finally caught up with uh, Better Call Saul. Uh, solid show. I, I don't know. You know, it's not It's not Breaking Bad. It's not Breaking Bad. So we're going we're gonna to see where that goes. It's solid. It's fun. It's entertaining. Uh, binge-watch that. I actually, I'm enjoying binge-watching Gotham. So I'm not caught up. I like watching like a few episodes in a row, so I'm I'm very far behind in that, but I'm looking forward to to catching up and, and binge watching. As we talk about, I, I'm a big fan. I, I, I like the first two episodes of Last Man on Earth. Um, so and, and like you said, like it's, it's catching up also on those non-Oscar movies. I gotta tell you, man, I don't know if you've seen it, but I watched this past weekend Bad Words. With Jason Bateman. I had that on my DVR. Holy cow. Was that a hilarious little movie? I mean, he played... Not the straight man, finally. Oh, my God. Such <laughs> an irreverent... Just, I mean, just an asshole. I mean, really, excuse my French if, if the kiddies are out there listening, but... Put him to bed. Wow. I, I'm, and he just his delivery and his sarcastic delivery with a real, real edge to the character. Those of you who don't know, the premise of the show is the movie is uh, Jason Bateman plays this this 40-year-old dude who decides that he's going to enter um, spelling bees uh, that are for, I I think they're for sixth graders. And he finds a a loophole in the rules that basically it says that, like, if you can, you cannot have graduated the eighth grade to participate in these spelling bees. And he didn't graduate the eighth grade. So he goes back, and, and these, these you know, achievement-oriented parents are outraged, and he doesn't care. And it was a good, a nice little cast, and it was just a fun movie. And you're right, you know, as much as I enjoyed the Oscar binge, and I did enjoy it, and I, and I saw a lot of um, really good movies. It's it's good to it's relaxing, I guess, to get back to, hey, let me watch a movie I just want to watch, and. A little movie that maybe could have been nominated for something. Uh, I thought it was a quality comedy. It was really well done. Uh, you know, I can't wait to see that one. I've got a backlog of movies on my DVR. Uh, things like I said, Godzilla, a Million Dollar Arm is sitting on there. I know that, you know, but like you said, it's binging on movies. It's binging on TV. I know I'm going to have to binge on the blacklist very soon. Um, I, I started, as I said, watching the the most recent Captain America. Speaking of which, I didn't watch it yet, but uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. returned this week, and, you know, it's supposed to be a very, very transformed show. I can't wait to see that. And the other, if we want to get into the real geekdom fanboy stuff, I watched the season finale of Star Wars Rebels, and I just refuse to spoil anything on this show, because if you have watched it, man, it was... uh, mind-blowing, and if you haven't watched it, you've got to catch up. Some people wrote it off as, you know, just a silly cartoon, and it really is not. It's it's such a background story to Episode Four, the original Star Wars. The, the show itself is leading up to the formation of the Rebellion that Luke Skywalker eventually joins, and, you know, Darth Vader and the Emperor are fighting against. And it's uh, it's very 
quality show. You know, it is a cartoon. It's on Disney XD. But despite what you might think, really big part of the Star Wars universe. So I'm, I'm putting my plug in there. We don't. We haven't discussed Star Wars in about two episodes, which is a, a big deal for us. Usually, it's a part of everything every time we come on. Uh, but definitely check it out. You know, I, I loved it. Love the season finale. Go and watch the entire thing if you feel like binging on something. Cause I, and I, I'll have to do that because I honestly I was one of those people that wrote it off. It just didn't. It didn't grab me. It honestly did not grab me, and I was. Uh, again, like you know, when when you're this engrossed, and you know, this show was born out of us just being obsessed and in love with pop culture. So there's there's only so many hours in the day, and sometimes it's almost like you sit there and it's like, you know, sometimes it's sitting there watching TV like you're you're auditioning for me, you know, and get up there and it's like you know what I I don't have I don't have a half hour a week for you. Sorry, you just didn't grab me. Sorry, you know. Try again next time, and and that's you know there's there's a lot of shows I watch and try and catch up on and try and you know and some kind of sometimes you just gotta you know cut one off and it just didn't grab me the the, the first couple episodes didn't grab me and I was like ah hey, you know it's just uh, I, I'm not gonna stick with it but you know per your recommendation I'll have to get back to it you know what you're missing though you know I'm I'm full of the fun facts fun fact you're missing uh, playing Big Baddie uh, Callus David Oyelowo. <laughs> he's in that. He's on the show playing uh, one of the main bad guys uh, until you know uh, what's happened recently. I, w- I won't be spoiling t- things too much for you big Star Wars fans out fans out there. Um, Grand Moff Tarkin does appear uh, towards nice. the, towards the end of the season uh, when things are not going so well for the Empire. But you know, let's not geek out too much on Star Wars. There's still more out there in the world. What do we talk about, Ken? Do we have another caller? Do we have another topic? Do we have we, we have a topic? We don't have any callers. We're waiting. Hopefully, like it, it just there are millions out there listening. They're just very shy. Give them the number again. I should give them the number three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five. That is the number to call if you want to talk anything in the world. If you want to talk about what we talked about, or you want to talk about something completely different, whatever, just give us a call and, and we'll talk something in the in the realm of pop culture. But you know what's no one on the line. So, no so that means we, we get to pick what we want to talk exactly. about. Exactly. That's, that's the good part. And one thing I wanted to talk about, and uh, it, it's cool, man, because we've got about a half hour left, which could be the perfect amount of time. Um, I posted this on the Facebook, and, and interesting, you know, this, this topic was actually inspired by Boyhood. Uh, and I will tell you why. Um, if you've seen Boyhood, and this is not a spoiler, but whatever, hey, look, listening to the show, go see the movie. If you didn't see it, I'm sorry. Uh, but there's a point in the movie where uh, Ethan Hawke, the father of, of this young lad that is aging, that the, the movie is centered around, um, gives him a birthday gift and gives him a, a CD, a three CD set that um, uh, he put together. It was essentially a, a mix, mix set. And what he did was, in, in his words, essentially put the Beatles back together again. And he took uh, all their great, their greatest solo works and, and, and not only put together, like put them on uh, a, a set, a three-CD set, but like talked about how one song flowed into the other and how it was a, it was a Beatles album, according to him. And he, and he really concentrated a lot on, on the, the track listings, the order, everything and surrounding it. And 
people like uh, someone on YouTube like posted the 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 actual track listing in order, and I started listening to you know the the Beatles Black album from Boyhood, and uh, I think there are some sites you can download it from. So at some point, I want to download it. Um, but that started me thinking, and and you know when going to the gym, this iPod generation, uh, I have a a, a a workout mix as as a lot of people do. But I started like since I'm there for a few hours, I was like, why don't I just throw on an album and listen to an entire album start to finish? And then I started remembering as a kid, like when when you'd get an album, you're like going up to my room, and and for me, it was it was cassettes really where I started, and I would go into my room and I'd pop it in my boombox and I would sit there and listen to it, you know, start to finish, and I'd read the inside of the the cassette notes and everything and. You know, it's interesting as as you watch, you know, music evolve over time, pop music, and it was like a singles kind of vehicle, pop music initially, and then, you know, the albums uh, became big, especially in, in the, the Beatles and, and artists of the 60s and concept albums, The Who, where, uh, you know, albums and, and the, the, the songs together in a collection mattered, and, and the order of the songs mattered, at least for some of them. And, and the big deal was buying the album. And I think the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, um, were, it, was, it was about the albums. I, once CDs really started to come into fruition and people could just skip, um, the, the, the singles kind of started becoming more and more important and those, those collective albums weren't as important. Even though for me, when I got a CD, I would listen to the whole CD yeah. start to finish. But I think that was the beginning. And even like an artist like Prince, when CDs like were coming out, when he released Love Sexy on CD, it's only one track. He didn't want you to be able to skip songs. He wanted you to have to listen to the album uh, collectively. So there's only one track on Love Sexy. Huh. Um, yeah. but, and now it's changed. to It's more of a singles vehicle. And, and I'm sorry, but you were going to say. No, that's all right. You know, speaking of... of being able to jump around or not cassettes really although you don't picture cassettes as being the epitome of the, the listening experience not maybe as good as records not as good as cds but cassettes are the one place where you couldn't jump around you know which was really important for listening to an album um when you mentioned the way that it, you put together a, a workout mix these days and there's not a lot of thought that goes into it Back in the days of cassettes, when you actually put thought into putting together not just a playlist, but your mixtape, because you had a physical something, you wanted to make it as good as it was, you were actually taking something you spent money on, you had to take the time to put it together, you weren't going to jump around, so there was something to making your own. And of course, when an artist puts out an album, at least over the you know since the 60s, there's something that goes into it that's not just a collection of songs. But it's something more than that. And I listen to albums all the time. People want to know why I need to buy such a, uh, a high-memory, high-storage iPhone, and it's because half of it is music. And I get, well, don't you have Pandora? Yeah, but Pandora's not an album. And when I listen to music, and this goes from back in the cassette era to even CDs, I wasn't a big jump-around guy. I like listening to an album, and I'm the same way right now. When I'm uh, listening to music, whether it's, you know, on my own, through earbuds, whether it's in the car, you know, through the speakers. Yeah, I listen to the radio. Yeah, I use Pandora. But really, a large part of the time, I'm listening to an album. 
and you know, there's just a huge list of coming from the 60s to today. I mean, a, a, a lot of the time I'll listen to anything from the Beatles, Billy Joel, Fish, Van Halen, you know, pretty much any album. But then I could pick dozens of other artists that uh, in Prince included, um, you know, geez, from, from every era where I want to listen to the entire album. I want to hear what was put together intentionally for my listening pleasure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, again, there were certain artists that look, obviously, whether whatever genre, um, you know, whatever era, you know, there were, peop- there were artists that just put albums together because there needed to be 10 songs on an album and there was never um, much of a thought to just throw them on the album and market it. But there were those albums, the Sgt. Pepper's, the, uh, you know, going back, you know, that, that were, that you could tell that the artists not only put the, like, you know, in crafting the songs, but there was something to the order. And and what songs came after you know another song and one of the song one of the albums I listened to start to finish recently that always sticks out for me and, and I'm a big Prince fan um, but the, the Symbol album where it's called the Love Symbol album uh, there's a lot of you know people nicknamed it a lot of things but when you listen to that album start to finish the first track on that album is My Name Is Prince by the end of that album his name is the Symbol. He transitions, like, that That album, all the songs are, you know, what he's kind of going through at the time and him transitioning to that name. And it's, and, and I wonder as much as, you know, nowadays albums are released. I get that. You know, artists still put out albums. But how much care and uh, time is put into the order of of tracks and and what the album itself is saying. And, you know, when I look at music, I mean, look, when when the singles, when the 45s were big way back when, and it evolved into albums being a bigger deal, you you know, and you look back on it, that evolution made sense. You could see where everything happened. With with where digital media is going, with, with, uh, you know, your your iPhones and your iPods and iPads and uh, Pandora, as you're saying, and, and everything else that's out there, you know, it was as I've gotten into back into the concept of just listening to an album, is, and I know there's been great albums, but is that gone? Like, is, is that whole idea of getting an album to listen to it start to finish, an artist, like, a lot of artists really putting in the time to put together an album. Will we ever see that again? It's probably going to be very uncommon. There are those that release their albums on alternative platforms. Those are probably artists that are thinking more about the albums. But, you know, the the hit makers, who you hear on the radio, I really think that a lot of it is going to be and is already just about, all right, which ones, are going to be our radio-friendly songs, and let's throw those at the beginning. Look, that's the way it was a long time ago. Back, you know, back when you had an A side and a B side, whether it be uh, records or tapes, there was kind of this feeling like you had to put the good stuff on the A side. And to me, back in the cassette era, back in the record era, you know, which is a little before my time, but of course I had the tapes of the artists from that era. The albums that I really wanted to listen to were the ones that were strong start to finish that, you know, whether they told a story or they just flowed into one another, but the collection was put together with a purpose start to finish. Those are the albums that I wanted to listen to and I still listen to today. I mean, I can throw a few. I I listed a whole bunch of the albums I still listen to, and I'm sure that some of these will resonate with a lot of you. Um, 
bat out of hell. Uh, Never mind. By Nirvana. Uh, Tori Amos albums, Little Earthquakes. Um, U2 albums. Jeez, one of the best ones was Brian Wilson's Smile. A couple of Sheryl Crow albums on here. Uh, Born to Run. You know, these are albums that start to finish terrific. And not only that, but they they kind of weave the the songs into one another. They work in the order they're given to you. It's like when I go to a restaurant, I will almost never say, can you do this with my dish? Can you change it like this? My thinking is, the chef has made something for me. This is how the chef thinks it should be served, and that's how I am going to eat it. And I feel the same way with an album. This was put together for me. This is the way that everyone has thought this should be consumed, and so this is how I'll consume it. And that's a good analogy because I'm kind of similar. Like it's experiential, you know. It's it's I, I'm going to a restaurant to experience how you've chosen to. Now, if I hate it, I won't come back. But I'm not going to ask you to change it. I, I want to see, you know, your your version of of a burger. You know, I'm not going to ask you for my version of a burger. Like, give me some. Maybe I'll like something that I never thought I'd like. Mm-hmm. And. You know, it's similar with albums, like, but but are artists even putting the time in? Like, it's interesting for me because when I look at, you know, I hate the the concept because I feel like it, it's, you know, it's almost like you know getting old. But when people say they'll never be another, or that they'll never duplicate, or they'll never, you know, it's like when people say, you know, I mean, you heard a lot of it this past year. There'll never be another Derek Jeter. Yeah, there will. Yeah, there will. There will be. Uh, you know, the, no movie will ever be better than. Yeah, there will be. You know, there will. They, they, people still do good movies. You know, stop. You know, and and that that to me is like when you're getting old, where you're just like you want to adhere to, you know, what you thought was great, and you're never like, you know, that'll ne- you know, there'll never be another. Then yeah, there will be. Well, there the older be. you get, there probably won't be. But. Exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, like to me, when I started thinking about this, and and you can debate other things. You can debate. Well, maybe there will. Maybe there won't be another Derek Jeter. Maybe there will. Maybe there won't. But like when I started thinking about the the actual concept of artists, you know, like when we grew up in the eighties, and and you know we weren't around the sixties, listened to a lot, but like the eighties, like like you know, Born in the USA, Thriller, uh, Purple Rain, uh, Joshua Tree, you know, those were like those were albums. Like yep. we we listened to albums, and and it's it's interesting to me, and even going like one of my favorites is uh, Pearl Jam's Ten, Ten, you know, start yep. to finish, man. And, you know, will we see that again? Will we ever see that? You know, I, it, I, I don't know. Like, it's just one of those things for me as a fan. I'm like, you know, some artists will. But is this one of those areas in, in media that, uh, if, if not definitively dead, it's, it's kind of on life support and we'll never see consistent great albums coming out maybe ever again in music? You know... I agree with what you're saying. It was a different era. Because of digital music, you never know what you're going to get now. Anything by the Beatles should be, you know, listen. Look, they have greatest hits collections, and that's a whole other story. But they're, they're just terrific albums. And you mentioned a whole bunch. I mentioned a whole bunch. Um, I wonder what you think, though, about not greatest hits is another story altogether. And then there's the concept of, like, the jazz album which you've just got to listen to to get, you know, as an album. Then there are those in the middle. And I'm curious what you think about things like soundtracks and live albums. 
you know, a live album is like a live show, and it does have a a start-to-finish feel. Soundtrack, is it put together for you to listen to that way? Is it really just supposed to bring you back to the movie you watched and give you that overall feel? Can you jump around with a soundtrack as much as you can with a studio album? What do you think? It depends on the soundtrack. Um, you know, certain soundtracks, uh, I guess you can jump around. But also, you know, and again, I think it's just the idea of the album, like you're saying with, with The Chef. I, I it, You put together that order of songs from, at least my thinking, as, you know, referencing certain parts in the movie. Um, a, a soundtrack like, uh, I mean, I mentioned Purple Rain before. Right, that's a whole that, other story. A, but like a soundtrack like Pulp Fiction that, uh, you know, throws in, you know, clips from the movie as well. Like that to me as much as, again, it, look, we're all guilty of it. And it's like you're in the mood to hear a certain song, you skip to it. But Pulp Fiction to me is one of those soundtracks that as much as it was put together, you kind of want to listen to that beginning and end. Yeah, and oh my God, did I do that very, very often <laughs> for a few years there. And I still will once in a while. Yeah, and that's one of those soundtracks that was put together uh, really well. You mentioned Purple Rain. You know, the the one artist soundtrack is another story. Like the Wall, uh, Purple Rain. You know, is, is something else altogether. I'm just going to throw out a few more of the albums that I listen to because I can, just because I'm sitting here and I can. But uh, Led Zeppelin Four, uh, you know, a great one is not just American Idiot, which everyone loves from Green Day and says like this concept album, but Dookie, their breakout album. Who doesn't listen to Dark Side of the Moon? You know, start to finish. Um, even while for, watching Wizard of Oz. Well, that's you know, got, if you haven't heard about it, go ahead and check that out on the internet. You got to try watching that. Even some from the '80s that you know people wouldn't think of as being such a great album and was very single heavy, but George Michael's Fate yeah. or She's So Unusual by Cyndi Lauper, you know, really good into the '90s with Tuesday Night Music Club. Oh, no doubts, Tragic Kingdom. I was a big fan of uh, The Breeders' Last Splash, you know, and. and it sort of lost it for me. I don't know if it's when I stopped listening as much to current music, when current music kind of went to crap, or if it's because the digital age has taken over and it's jump around, listen to, download a single, make a playlist. But I haven't had the same experience with albums. Even though I might get an album, I don't feel the need to listen to it the same way when, if it's been put out after you know 1998 or who knows. I mean, it's, it, I think, just, and I think it started with CDs because it was so easy to skip around, and it's kind of transcended into digital media. But I, you know, I, I'll never forget. Uh, you know, I remember the song uh, "Bitch," of course, by, uh, Meredith, Meredith Brooks. Brooks, and I remember buying that with uh, an ex-girlfriend, and because we loved the song, and she's like, "I'm just going to get the CD." Holy cow, did that CD suck! Right, it was terrible. I, and "Bitch" was a good song, and it just was. I think that was like really where it started. Where like come out with like a strong one or two songs, and you know the rest, whatever. And people would buy the CD. And I think that was like CDs was like again hindsight twenty twenty. But that was the the beginnings. Even though we had some great collective CDs, uh, you know, during the CD era, it just kind of got to a point where you know it was so convenient to skip around. And 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 it's a shame because I think we we grew up in a really cool decade. You know, pop, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of earth-shattering stuff, but, you know, like you bring up Faith. I mean, there were, we listened to albums that would spawn, like, five, six, seven top ten 
hits. And it was like, it seemed like the 80s was always had that, that year where, like, there was the Thriller year. There was the Like a Virgin year. There was the Purple Rain year. There was the Born in the USA year where, like, just you had an album that spawned, like, a ton of top ten hits. But Faith not only did spawn all those hits, it it really was great to listen to in the order it was given to you. And I'm thinking now, when we grew up, you usually listen to an album on a, a tape, but you listen to your singles on 45s. And now, well, after that, you didn't. Who bought cassette singles or or uh, CD singles? I had Whoop There It Is on cassette singles. Yeah, I had a couple. I had a little, you know, uh, carrier with ten cassette singles. But once you got rid of your record player and stopped listening to forty fives. I think the single went away, and now when you could download individual songs and make your own playlist, I think it's crept back. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, hopefully, I mean, I love that whole idea of a collective great album, but I don't know if we'll see that collectively. And let's say they they start to put out like major major discounts where, you know, it's like a dollar a song and it's two dollars to download the whole album. You know, then people maybe will start putting out like, you know, better albums, and then. You know, people will be buying albums more to listen to them start to finish. But have you seen the price of a CD in the store lately, though? I have not. Oh no. my God! I mean, like four bucks for a <laughs> CD. So they're getting there. Makes me sad. Three four seven eight three nine eight one five is the number to call. We have talked Oscars, movies, TV, music. God, we've hit everything today. We got Dank on the line. So whatever you want to talk about, Dank, how you doing this evening? I'm doing good. How you gentlemen doing tonight? We're doing all right. Thank you for giving us a call. Like I said, we we've hit a lot of topics over the course of the the, the show. And uh, what do you want to talk about? Um. Well, I'm going to try and hit as many as I possibly can without boring you guys. Um, Go real for quick, it. The, the Oscars. Um, I thoroughly I thoroughly enjoyed them. I like Neil Patrick Harris as a host. The one downside I was not too like, thrilled about was how he kept prolonging the whole. Uh, prediction letter that he had made, which in the end was very, very nice and very well made, but I just thought that it was one too many skits surrounding uh, surrounding it. Other than yeah. that, I think he did a really good job, and um, I hope that he comes back uh, at least for one more year. Um, uh, I was happy that Birdman ended up winning. Uh, it looked like for a while that the, uh, what's the name of that, the, the Grand... The one about the hotel, I can't think of the name right, right now. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, thank you. I thought um, that that was going to win it and with uh, how many victories. I think it's just one after the other after the other. Um, I went to see Fifth Shades of Grey. It was a disappointment that I thought it would be, and I just kept moving on with that. Um, one movie that I went to go see, I don't know if you gentlemen got to go see it yet, was... Um, Kingsman. The oh yeah, Service. how was that? Uh, really good movie. Really great cast. Um, very well made. Uh, it's almost like a, a, it's almost like a like a Bond movie with more humor into it than anything. Than, than, like this, well, but like more humor than you would find in a Bond movie. But it was very up there. I liked it. It, it was. Uh, it kept flowing. It was never really. Oh my God! Is the scene almost over because it's putting me to sleep? Uh, obviously, a lot of action facts. Samuel L. Jackson um, plays, you know, the bad guy. Michael Caine. I mean, I've yet to 
see really a movie with Michael Caine that did a really bad performance. So I was very, very pleased with it. Um, let's see, as far as movies, that's really all I went to go see that was new. Uh, what else did you guys talk about? Oh, albums. Um, I don't know. Ever since like I was a kid, obviously, my mother is a Beatle maniac. So I grew up on the Beatles. Uh, she still has to this day uh, some of the uh, original LPs that when you know they came out, she has the Help album. She, I believe she has the White Album. So um, I grew up, it was a very Beatles-based um, learning when it came to, like, music. Uh, when I branched out, I branched out to Guns N' Roses. Uh, my first two cassettes that I went to go get, it was um, album-wise, was Appetite for Destruction and uh, User Illusion 1 and 2, which came as a set when I bought them in Europe. Other than that, when it came to album, I've always been a very big fan of um, the best of because obviously it's got more of the songs that I like about the artist than having to sit through songs which I don't like. Uh, a couple of my favorite ones was Aerosmith's Big One and uh, John Lennon, uh, I believe it was called Legend. Um, it was like basically like you know his best ones. He had Imagine. He had. Uh, jealous guy. It had, it had, it included songs by John Lennon that I had never heard before, but I liked because I've always liked John Lennon's style. Um, it's interesting. So, it's interesting with the greatest hits because some of them are given to you chronologically, and some of them are given to you in a different order, and they both have a purpose, I think, because you listen to a chronological greatest hits album that really does take you through a different kind of story, which is the evolution of this artist. Whereas when you get one that's put together in a different order, then you think, okay, this has been served up to me this way for a reason, and you get a different experience out of it. But, you know, nothing wrong with either one. Yeah, um, that is a very good point, and that is true. Um, I am also, depending on the artist, a fan of the live albums. Uh, I know, I forget what the name is, I have a uh, Elton John live album that I really like because he plays pretty much all of his hits from like the 70s all the way to the 90s. And then my favorite live album, which I actually recently just rebought because I lost the one that I had got, is Garth Brooks' Double Live. And um, it was actually not just a double live, but they also included more recent songs by Garth, which were played live. It was like a 25-year anniversary of Garth Brooks very well put together, very well made. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm very much all over the map when it comes to artists. And I think it's I based my albums on the um, on the singers or on the band. Like I know some bands are really good in the studio, but not so great live. So I won't even bother buying the live stuff. And there's other other bands or other artists which. Um, I absolutely love. I've seen live. I know how they sound, and I just want more and more of their live stuff. So I'll, I'll concentrate more on the live than anything else. I'm right but, there with um, you. I feel the same way. Yeah, but I mean, like, just like you guys, you know, when we were younger and we had the cassette tapes, it took longer for us to get to the song that we wanted with the rewind and the fast-forwarding and getting mm -hmm. it right than we did the actual song. And then once the CDs came out, it was like this miracle thing where we could actually just hit a one button and it would go straight to the song that we wanted. 
And you remember, like, oh my you remember the counter on your cassette player? Jeez, I haven't thought about that in a really long time. Remember the little counter with the few digits? I do. Then yeah, I haven't thought about I, that in a long time. I don't think anybody ever used like they were supposed to use. Um, yeah, if, because if, yeah, if you knew your player, then maybe you could say, "All right, I've got to fast forward to '92 <laughs> to get to the." But you know, that was not. You had to really keep track of a lot of stuff to use that in the right way. Yeah, and I mean, like, unfortunately, I always shared my Walkman with my sister, so it was all. I tried doing it a few times, so I'm like, okay, I know exactly where I have to go, but then come to realize my sister had used it before, so all the numbers were completely out of whack. That'll so mess it all up. You know, that, that's the, the, the downside of growing up with two sisters and being the middle child. They got to use everything and, you know, tough luck about yourself. Um, but, um, I don't know, there's a lot of, like, really good movies coming out. I mean, obviously a lot of uh, Marvel-based movies. But one preview that I saw, which actually I was on the fence about, but after seeing the preview, I'm actually kind of thinking about to go see, is actually Hitman, based on the video game. Now, they had released a movie back in the 90s based on it, which really, really sucked. But this one looks very well made. It's basically like the origin of the, uh, the assassins. Um... I like it. It intrigued me, and um, it changed my mind about possibly not seeing it. So um, if you guys get a chance to see it, like at least the preview, let me know what you guys think. I, I, had, um, seen the, I had seen the preview, and uh, Rupert Friend, who is also in Homeland, uh, is yeah. playing, uh, I guess, the, the, the lead character or the lead hitman, and uh, love him in Homeland. Um, and and the, the trailer definitely was, was intriguing. I remember, because the first one, Timothy Oliphant was in, and uh, I, I enjoyed it, but you're right. It, was, it wasn't it was a great movie. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's it's uh, we're, we're heading into that, you know, hopefully at some point. I mean, you never know if it's northeast, but we're moving into a... What, are, are you in a train station of some sort? No, so I just got back in my car. Sorry. Okay. All right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're moving into that, you know, spring summer. We're gonna get a lot of these fun, uh, action-packed movies. Looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, we got obviously the Avengers coming out. We have Fast and Furious coming out. Um, Ant Man looked really good, and I saw a new preview for it as well. Um, I think I like. I've always liked Michael Douglas. I mean, I'm probably influenced more by my mother because she, having grown up, you know. 40s, 50s, 60s, um, a lot of my influence, like, I like the older actors, Michael Douglas, you know, even his father back in the day, um, uh, Sean Connery, um, more like actors that you saw that they had a lot of studying, like you can almost see when you watch an actor, you know, you can't compare a Michael Douglas to a Vin Diesel or a Michael Douglas to, you know, I, don't, I can't even think of names right now, like Emma Stone. You know, like, they they were taught differently, and it resounds very much on camera. And it's almost like you can get lost when one of these actors talk, to whereas, you know, you almost know what to expect with the new generation of actors. There was, there you know, was a difference. Always, I mean, those guys of yesteryear, you know, they when they got on the... the uh, the camera, the screen, you know, it just they owned it. And, and it's tough to... 
I don't know how many like newer actors really have that that absolute presence of really taking over the screen like those stars of yesteryear. Thank great stuff as always. Thank you so much. We're up against it. We're we're pretty close to the end of the show, but thanks for giving us a call and uh definitely give us a call next month so we can talk more about the the new movies coming out and everything. Oh, definitely. Thank you for taking my call so late. Appreciate it. Take it easy, brother. Talk to you soon. See you, Dank. Bye. Good stuff, man. We're up against for about 20 seconds left in the show. Good show. We, we hit the we hit the mother load today. We hit just about every aspect of pop culture. Good stuff tonight. We did it as we always say we will, and uh, next month we'll do it again. Sounds good. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for our callers. For Todd, I am Ken. Talk to you next week, next month. Take it easy, everyone. Good night.